I'm Laura and I am a solicitor uh, working commercial litigation. Um, so, over, and I've been in that job for about 15 years now. So, over the years, it's taken all sorts of different shapes and forms. It was quite high pressured at the beginning with a heavy caseload, lots of um, court cases on, lots of disputes to deal with. Um, got about, got into about eight years qualified and took maternity leave to have my first son. Um, I've now got two children. Uh, the eldest is five, uh, Thomas and Jessica is three. And when I came back from having the children, I'm still in the same job, but I took on a slightly different role, which was going to fit around family life um, better. So I'm still in the commercial litigation team, but I um, look after more of the um, training, help with some of the management issues. I get involved in a lot of our technical writing. So anything for our website and guides for clients and that sort of thing. So it's a less frontline job. I'm working a lot more with my colleagues and the team rather than having frontline contact with clients. I do do client work still when, when required in my niche areas, but otherwise my role is much more internal. So that's just fitted much better with having to balance family life. I've gone part-time as well. Um, and I think it's it's probably something that uh, we were just talking about, which was why I started reading this book. And so let's, uh, um, let's, uh, let's introduce I, the book uh, as you're, as you're yeah, okay, into it. Okay. So, uh, well, first of all, I think there's a lot that you've, you've just said in that. So that's really interesting to see where you were at in your life cycle now um, and I know we yeah. talked about we talked just before we hit record and I asked you your age and I know we're not supposed to ask a, a lady her age but I asked only because it was <laughs> it was interesting and, and you can tell the listeners as well because what I was interested in and the reason I asked the question was to kind of see where you were in your life cycle um, in it yeah and to see why did this book um, come to your mind at this particular time. And the book that we're talking about is uh, it's called The Code of the Extraordinary Mind by Feshin Lakahini. Is that how you pronounce his last name? That sound about right? I have right? no idea, yeah. Clay. He's a founder. I'm glad you introduced him. <laughs> yeah. He's a <the> founder <laughs> of uh, Mind Valley. So I think anybody in mm. the sort of personal development, self-development space will, will probably heard of uh, Mind Valley because he does interview lots of people in the same space as well. And I know if we go onto their site, I mean, they've got low, a wealth of, um, of, of, of assets that, you, that both free and paid that, you know, people can be a part of. So he's been in the game for a while. So it's been interesting for yeah. me reading this book because I, I think I came across him like way before the book, like when, you know, when he introduces in the book, we was talking about when he started my mind Valley, um, you know, that's probably about the time that I came across him when he, it was just yeah, okay. something very simplistic. Um, and I've just watched him grow, um, over time. And he's, you know, it's huge from what he started with, you know, just selling a few CDs, Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> to, you know, yeah. to 300 employees, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. So, um, well, just, yeah, just kind of go interested to know a little bit more about what, why this book for you and what's going on in your world that's kind of um, drawn you to this book or the 
Yeah. Because I have this, I have this belief so, that the that the resource <clears throat> that you need. So it's just it's a saying that goes: when the student is ready, the teacher will appear. And that teacher could be in the form of a person, could be in the form of a book, or you know, something yeah. appears that you need. So if you're in the role of the student, and this teacher, the code of the extraordinary mind, has appeared, what was going on in your world that summoned this book for you? Yeah, that, I, I love that saying, actually, um, that the teacher will appear because it, it absolutely is triggered by something in your mind where you think, I, ne- I need a bit of guidance or direction or if you're just struggling with something, you start, that's my reaction to it is to, okay, I'm struggling with this now, so I need to read about it. So in the past, I will have, um, if I've hit struggles with um, my children so either sleep problems or behavioral problems I'm thinking I don't know enough about this to try and um, figure figure out what to do next so I tend to turn to books or um, some kind of courses Um, and actually this the 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 reason I turned to the the code of the extraordinary mind was 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 you Clay because um, you did a short session for us as the White House workforce on um, it was all, it was to deal with anxiety during um, lockdown. So we'd probably been in lockdown for a month or two at the time, and it was a very short um, video that you did for us, which was about if you're feeling uh, like things are out of your control how can you try and uh, make yourself feel better and you basically talked about um just look at what's within your control and what isn't in your control so and and it very directly said if it's out of your control then just forget about it there's nothing that you can do so just stop worrying about it and that's something that I do all the time is worry about things that are completely out of my control and then it was focus um, on what you can control and one of the really helpful things that you said was you you can't control what's going on around you but you can control your reaction to it and that that re- that was something that I took away from that video and you'd mentioned um within that video some philosophers and um a lot of I, I think people that talk about um profession uh, personal growth so I think I asked you the question and said you know what else can I read or listen to and you pointed me in the direction of this book no, I think I don't, I'd I don't, also I don't think it went down that way I think he did <laughs> no, I think I think he no. did but I, but I... No, no, everything <laughs> everything up to me pointing you to the book um is 100% accurate you're right but it, I think you were doing your own searching because you sent an email to me and asked did I know anything about this guy because you would consider yes, doing yeah, one yeah. of his yeah, courses. Yeah. <laughs> and then I recommend... Yes. Okay, actually, it's both. Yeah. Because I did recommend the book. Because you wanted to do a course. Yes, and yeah, I, yeah. And then I recommend... And you, you said start with the book. Yes, now we got, yeah. now we got it. Actually, now we got yeah, the whole thing and, out now. And, <laughs> yeah, and, and you, I actually did skip a part, in fairness, because in between listening to your video and asking you about Mind Valley, um, that I came across one of Mind Valley's... Um, short webinars that I watched and I think that was called Be Extraordinary and it was a it was almost a snapshot of the book that I've now read with on the code of the extraordinary mind and it just when I listened to it I just thought this is what I need because it was essentially saying right there are there's the world that you live in and you can either be a victim of it or you can 
choose your own way forward and your own uh, beliefs about the world that you're in. And I and it talked about, and I, I, I've actually got this as a picture on my wall now, but it talked about the culture scape, which okay. is the world that we live in, where you can be, um, you can, you can just be, they call it a victim, maybe that's too strong a word, but you can just be affected and impacted by everything that's going on around you and feel that everything is being imposed on you and that it's everybody else's fault and um, you there's nothing you can do about it. So you just have to get on with it and you're stuck in that confined culture scape of the world as we know it, which is um, sort of led by various rules and traditions. Um and, and one thing that I really liked that he said was tradition is actually just uh, peer pressure from dead people, which <laughs> I, I thought was a really good, not not always appropriate, but it was a really good uh, way of looking at it in, at that particular time. And then he talks about moving away from the culture scape, which he talks about the awakening and then recoding yourself and then be, go, going on the path to be extraordinary. But the reason I the reason I came asking for some direction was because... Um, I think I, I hit lockdown and I realized that everything that I was relying on to keep me going, so to speak. So any things I was, you know, the, the daily stresses of attitude from your young children struggling with their behavior, wondering whether you're adopting an appropriate parenting style, um, you know, whether it be stresses at work, stresses in the household, just general day-to-day things that you have to cope with. My my parents had been quite poorly as well, to, sort of over Christmas time. And um, my my mom's was like a um, temporary thing. So she broke her leg. She was off her feet for a long time, but she it was, we knew she'd get back to it my dad however is sort of on the on the early stages of dementia we think and we're trying to get some help with that so I think all of those things combined I was re- what I was relying on is I do a lot of horse riding I go dancing and I was dancing once or twice a week and I I'd taken a break from dancing when I had the kids and I just got back into it and I was absolutely loving it and then I do uh, I you know I enjoy going to work I only, I'm very fortunate I only have to go into the office two days a week but I was, you know, I love seeing my colleagues and having the buzz of that environment and all of those. And I see my friends, I go out socializing a lot and, and all of this stuff happens. If I'm not at work, all of my social life happens in the evenings because that's when the children are in bed. So it's where my freedom comes back. And literally overnight, that just disappeared. Mm. And I was left with being everybody stuck in the same household and, and finding that Evenings to start with, I was working because I was having to do shift work to work around the children. But as that settled into a bit more of a rhythm, um, we so that I was able to work more my normal hours, I was getting to the evenings and I just thought, I, I've got some free time now and I'm wasting it because I don't. I, I felt like I'd lost my mojo. I felt like I hadn't got that, well, I can't go dancing. I can't go horse riding. I can't go to the pub with my mates. And it was all of a sudden, what am I going to do? And and I think I, I, I sort of initially got stu- stuck in the rut of just sitting in front of the TV, the evening disappearing and just, you know, on my phone, 
just doing mind-numbing stuff basically and I thought I can't this is absolutely suffocating me I need to do, I, I can't carry this on for the next three months or however long this is going to last for and I think that's why when I, I think the Mind Valley course that popped up it I can't remember what the message was it would have been something like you know are you are, are you uh, sort of stuck in a in a routine or something like that and I thought I need to listen to that and and it just started opening my mind to sort of finding other ways um to find happiness um and contentment within your own self rather than relying on all of these external things um so that's why I started looking for some help but I've conscious I've just I've just <laughs> no you're good a lot so I'm gonna let you interject Clay. <laughs> no, you, you were going I love it it was good stuff um yeah no I think um there was a couple of things that came to mind as you were speaking one just on this last point where um there's this idea that you know there are no coincidences in the world and um, that everything mm. kind of happens for a reason and the things that you need show up when you need them to show up and just listening to your story there, um, you know, the right set of words came, you come across the right set of words, and it pointed you to um, the sort of Mind Valley stuff. Um, and you can even go yeah. further back to the fact that for whatever reason, I made the video that I made, listened to it, resonated, um, and then it kind of led you on to this journey. So, and that was, I thought that was pretty cool just hearing how all yeah. this interconnection uh, happens. Um, Going just briefly, briefly back to the video that I made about the anxiety. And in that, I was talking about the Stoic philosophy and Stoic philosophers in that, Marcus Aurelius and uh, Epictetus and those guys. And yeah, and it was all about, you know, the two things, um, you know, what's under your control and what's not under your control. And the sooner you can make that distinction, you kind of boost your um, peace of mind by like tenfold by um just recognizing that and so that that was good yeah and then so the whole sort of culture scape thing as well you touched on which um the subtitle of that that's just part one of um of the book is called living in the culture scape and it's about how we are shaped Mm -hmm. by the world around us and there's a lot of stuff that goes into that and you touched on a lot of that so tradition you talk, you know, your parents, how you're raised, you know, the religion that you would have ad- been inherited from your parents, um, the things that you get taught in schools and whatever society yeah. you might have to be in and work. So, and he calls them rules, uh, bullshit rules. Yeah, he calls them. yeah. Um, because, you know, if you think about it, there's a lot of, of rules that are, that you, that are imposed upon you in the sense that you never really asked if you wanted to adopt these rules, you're just kind of given them and by yeah. your parents, your teachers, your authority figures, by the society that you're in, they're just like, here, here are the rules and get on with playing with them. So yeah, you feel like um, if you let it, that um, you have no choice, that that's just the way that it yeah. is. Yeah. Um, and he tells a good story because he was Hindu, I guess, you know, culturally was Hindu. Um, and this idea of not eating beef and that kind of thing, and he had, but he had very supportive parents that allowed him to challenge things, and he challenged this concept of because he wanted to eat a McDonald's hamburger, didn't he? <laughs> um, yeah, um, that's it. Yeah. But and and I think anyone, all of us, if you really ask yourself, where do my beliefs come from? 
So when's the last time you've actually challenged your own beliefs? Mm-hmm. Because I think what beliefs, and I think Tony Robbins hits at this, is they're um, unspoken commands. You're just obeying them. And you don't even realize anymore mm-hmm. that you're obeying them because it's a belief, so you no longer really question it. But your whole behavior is driven by these beliefs. And I've done an exercise, and this is worth one doing if you haven't done it, is to mm-hmm. um, think of your major beliefs, the things you believe so, you know, yeah. just super true. It's just always been that way. And then I call it the breadcrumb exercise, as in trace where they came from, who and what and how um, in your life that these this belief has um, become to be a, a dominant part uh, of your of your life and um, you know like you know one of mine which I kept and because the thing is you go back and this is you know you challenge your beliefs see where they come from and then keep the ones that are still useful to you and this is what the book gets into then disregard the ones that aren't yeah. useful to you a- anymore and adopt new ones and, and always be a, you know challenging your current belief systems to see if you need and uh finesse likens it to software you know you're always upgrading your software yeah. and the latest F, uh software of, of my of uh, apple is out now and um, but so you'll upgrade your machine <laughs> and with this new software yeah. and the challenge i think from the book is you know you got to get into the habit of continually upgrading your software um in order to stay fresh with the beliefs that you have. and But it's so easy, I think, with the culture scape um, to be stuck in it because it just gets reinforced. It gets reinforced in what you watch on the TV. It gets reinforced in the things that you may read in the news. It gets reinforced in um, your political debates. You know, All these things just keep getting reinforced on a daily basis. And if you never call time out to say, okay, well, what's useful to me and what's not useful to me? you'll find yourself maybe operating uh, with some old software that might not be serving you. And I think it shows itself up as discontentment um, in your life. When you become discontent with things, um, it's usually a good sign that, you know, some of your beliefs maybe aren't serving you as well because those beliefs are are become a habit and those habits aren't serving you uh, anymore. Um, so yeah, mm-hmm. so I think you know all of what you said is, and it's a that's almost the first step is, you know, examining what your culture escape is, your beliefs, religious beliefs, political beliefs, um, you know, and you're in a position now. Think about this: you are passing on beliefs to your two kids, and there's no owner's manual to yeah. <laughs> to parenting, isn't it? You just you'll do what you remember your childhood was like, things that you will have kept, some things you might tweak, some things you might have outright rejected because you, I didn't really like that when yeah. I was a kid. Um, but then you've mm. got to gotta help your kids to socialize and you can only do that in the best way that you know how. So you're passing on, you know, a belief system to them um, to, you know, help them get their start in the world. And at some point in time, They'll be sitting down making a podcast, <laughs> thinking, <"All right>. <laughs> <laughs> "What are the stuff I need to reject that Mom gave to me? That this <laughs> what rules that Mom gave to me that I yeah, no longer yeah, want, you know? yeah. <laughs> so, 
yeah. And it's just, I think it's just yeah. a part of the cycle of life in that way. And there's no way around that. Um, and there's no right or wrong to it, I guess, either. In that instance, it's just, you know, we've we've got to we've got to choose a way of being. Um, I think the book challenges you to do that consciously and to do that on a regular basis um, so that you always stay, you know, up to date and current and not just accept things yeah, as absolutely. they are. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think that's the, the point you make there, Claire, about how, you know, what brawls you might be passing on to your own children. I, I think that's something that probably worries me a lot because and and probably from quite a young age as well when I first started reading some parenting books because you're always conscious of you know if I do this what impact is it having on my children and you know I'm a I'm a would consider myself a pretty optimistic happy-go-lucky kind of person but everybody has bad days and ultimately I think um you can be impacted by other negativity around you. And I and I think that it's it's one thing that with with when you're parenting children is when children question, you know, you I, I was I suppose I was quite a meek and mild child. I hope my parents would agree <laughs> with that. But you know, if they told me to do something, I did it because you I don't obeyed. I don't know why, whether it was out of I yeah, whether it was out of mild fear or um, you know, just the you know, I'm you know, well they are you they are the people girl. that I'm supposed to listen to <laughs> yeah. most of the time. Um and and I think and actually children, I don't know whether it's a trend or I just notice it now because I'm a parent, but kids are questioning their parents a lot more and I do wonder if it's because we've been encouraged not to parent through the fear factor and when I say fear factor I don't mean you know if you don't do this uh, you you know something really nasty is going to happen oh, that to you. Was fear factor was you know, the whole that... thing in my house man <laughs> my, <laughs> well my parents you know, my... definitely don't spare the rod <laughs> spoil the spare the rod yeah, yeah, the yeah. they definitely adopted that yeah. one so I mean, I mean, I'm I'm thankfully young enough to have escaped the cane, but you know that that was how my parents were brought up, and so fear factor is was okay, and and I think whereas I massively disagree with that, not because I want unruly children, and you know some would probably say uh, my kids are a bit unruly, and I would agree with them, but it's because they challenge me all of the time, and I and so I. I try to adopt her. Okay, well, you've asked me a question. I'm not going to respond. I really try hard not to say because I said so, um, and do and and try and explain why I'm asking them. Maybe not to run across the road without, um, you know, but you know what you have. But what, what, what you have really in your card example. now is just say, go Google it when they start asking loads of questions. Yeah, you know, <laughs> you know well, Vision says that. But, but Vision uses that, and I thought, I'm going, I'm going to keep that one at my sleeve because they don't he do asks it, his mama really often. My, my kids do, I used to say, man, in my day, we had to go to a library or look on the Encyclopedia yeah. Britannica, and you guys got the greatest asset ever, and you still ask me all these questions. It's like, go Put it in the search engine and find it. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So yeah, it's yeah. a nice idea to I'm, say go Google it, but they don't always. They don't do it. <laughs> Easy I to think, ask. No, mom but I, I. Yeah, but then Vision, um, use, he uses that as an example, didn't he? And he said, um, he said I wanted to know why I wasn't allowed to eat beef, and because it was a different 
difficult question instead of his mom trying to answer it she said why don't you go and find out for yourself and almost challenged him with that task which he went off and did and then he presented the argument for well actually the the reasons why we don't uh, were all of these and I believe those are outdated now so so I'd like to try and and so she let him do it and I thought that was actually a really good way that she dealt with that because she said you go and find out decide for yourself and then come and talk to me about it my my children are a bit young to be able to do that yet but um but yeah I I, and I think but it's that it's that sort of encouraging them to be inquisitive and to challenge any brawls that they think there might be but at the same time they've got to respect that sometimes there are certain things that we can't avoid so if you need to go to school to learn and you need to go to work to earn money then but it, it is healthy um if you can bring them up to have that toolkit of just questioning well why am I doing this and is it because I feel one thing I want to really avoid with them is don't do something because you think other people want you to yeah. um rather than um because you want to and I, I actually came across that probably just before lockdown where I was being asked by friends to do one thing and by another group of friends to do another. And I felt obliged to do the thing that um, my one set of friends wanted to do as opposed to the other. And I, I just remember I was trying to say yes to everybody mm. and I, was, I, I couldn't fit it in the diary. That was essentially what the, the um, pinch point was. I couldn't fit both in the diary. And I just remember thinking to myself, well, hang on a minute why am I doing A rather than B? And I thought, what do I want to do? And I thought, I want to do B, even though that may be letting group A down. I want to do B. It was a classic. I think A was in the diary first, B came along second. And I thought, I'd actually much prefer to do that. And I thought, for once, I'm actually going to do what I want to do. Because I think you you can become so selfless sometimes that you you end up impacting on your own happiness. And I think, I don't know if that's the trait that comes with parenthood or or what, but, and I've probably always been a bit that way inclined is you try and please other people too much. And yeah, no, I mean, that's quite I a think, thing though, isn't it? Being a people pleaser. I mean, if you think about different sort of personality traits, you know, some people, you know, one of it is being a people pleaser. So they want to make sure that everybody's happy and then they do and obey to kind of make sure that, everyone is happy in it you know, like i'm a praise monkey like i need i'm i kind of praise even you know it's like oh, i need it to fuel yeah yeah um and my thing and i you know again when i did this belief thing you know i i you know i could trace it back to you know again you know my 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 mom was really two things she was and when you talk about um peer pressure for me i had the opposite because she had this because she lost her mom when she was young so and she felt in her parenting that she needed to make me independent at the young age. So yeah. at a very young age, I was cooking, cleaning, ironing, taking, being able to take care of myself. So I was taught all those things. Um, and her constant reframe was, you know, you can't depend on anybody, not even me. So she built me to be, I say built, because yeah. that, that was the programming, was to be uh, independent. So even in school, I never subscribed come to peer pressure it was never a thing for me I didn't belong to belong to I didn't belong to a clique and in fact I was able to yeah. socialize with all the cliques the jocks the 
the geeks, the nerds, and I, I belonged in all the groups without belo- without belonging. I was in every group without belonging to the group and never felt any need to conform when people said, oh, we're going to go do this. Um, I was easy to turn around and just walk away and not even care whether my friends called me names or didn't like it. Um, didn't bother me. It was just like, okay, yeah, whatever. <laughs> and because of you yeah. know, this other driver from, you know, this huge driver from my mom to be uh, completely sort of independent in that sort of sense. But it has its downsides as well. It has a downside in that you don't ever really totally um, put your, or I don't totally put my trust into anyone. Um, so there's a downside that yeah. you really open up to people to say here 100 percent faith in someone else because my mm. my um culture scape was not to um so it has its pluses and minus but doing that exercise of the breadcrumb aspect to see well where did that come from and what parts of that do i want to keep and what parts need to be let go now i understand why she did it um and then I got some great stuff out of it, being independent and independent thinker and not feeling I need to be a part of the herd. So that was plus. Um, the minus bits I had to work over on in terms of opening up, letting people in, um, you know, I had mm-hmm. to work on, on, on that piece. So, yeah, so it's, um, it's interesting with the kid thing because, you know, I have two kids, but, you know, they're all grown now and you can, you know, always come to that, nature versus nurture argument i mean they have the same parents Mm. pretty much the same you know very close in age so their experiences would be the same but they're totally different people um and then sometimes now looking on this end where kind of like you it's like i wanted to to be well open-minded for one get them to figure out life for themselves never force them to do anything but understand the consequences of not doing stuff yeah um but then it, you know, it has its negative sides to it, as in, you know, you can see them now when they're having, you know, thrown out into the, um, the adult world. Uh, you know, they never latched onto any particular thing because they tried so many different things. And there's an argument to say, you know, do you just groom your kids to do a thing because it gives them a leg up? You know, I don't know, but it, you know, it's because you can look at other kids who had parents that pushed them in that way. Now, they might pay for it in a different way because they've been driven by their parents to go down this particular route, do this kind of thing, go to these kind of mm. this kind of school. Um, they might see, you know, that they might it might come out in a different way. So a leg up initially, but it'll it'll unpack itself <laughs> at some point in time in perhaps a different way. So yeah. you know, I don't think there's a right or wrong in it. Uh, you just have to kind of go at what feels most right for you, uh, given your own experiences, I think. I, I guess it's um, about perhaps that that leg up, um, so to speak, is is having listened to the book, because I, I did it on an audio book, because I can, I can fit that in a lot easier than sitting down and reading. And um, when I was listening to it, I, I think to fit in with what you've just said, Clay, it's that almost giving them the leg up with giving them the choice. So if you're fortunate enough to give them opportunities and then they either take them or they don't. But I think ultimately it's got, to, if they choose something, 
they're sure to stick with it more than if they feel that it was imposed on them. And and I suppose, you know, I I um I asked to learn to play the piano, but I was taught to play the piano and I from when I was um quite young. Uh, I was taught to play the piano in a very traditional way. So it was a you have to learn all your scales and arpeggios, you have to do grades, you have to play classical music. And so I started off with a passion for music and wanting to play the piano. And it, I think it came from hearing someone play the piano or hearing it on the radio and, and or hearing instrumental pieces within music of the piano and thinking, what an amazing sounding instrument that and and a piano can be so easily solo as well. I suppose I thought I, you know, I wouldn't feel the need to be part of a band with a piano. You can or an orchestra, you can play on your own and it's and if you're good enough, it can sound amazing. And but I was taught I had to do it in a particular way and it took that passion and it turned it into a chore, which is actually really sad because I think at one point I was technically quite good, but I hated it. Mm. I, I say I hated it. I just wasn't enjoying it. So practice was becoming because you you it doesn't come naturally. I, I think some people have a, na- a very natural gift, but those are few and far between. Most of us have to work hard at these things. And and I'd, I'd put the hours in and I'd got the, some of the technical ability and I just hit a wall with it and just thought, I just don't enjoy this anymore. And sort of as I was doing that and then I'd later a little later discovered horses and you know my parents allowed me to ride horses once that I could they could afford to let me do that unfortunately it's a really expensive hobby and so I discovered horses and I was just you know smitten with those and then I think the, the probably the killer for my piano was when I started dancing because I thought ah oh, this is you know this is everything in one I get the music but I don't have to learn to play it I can I, I've got to learn to dance to it but I love that and it's sociable as well and so dancing probably killed the piano for me because um, it was a quicker way to getting uh, that enjoyment and and Actually, I think where I went wrong with the piano was where I was never allowed to play what I wanted to play yeah. or not not early enough. Um, and actually, the ironic thing is that because of the, the reading that I've done around this, uh, around uh, the sort of personal growth area and lockdown forcing me to give up everything else, I've actually got back into the piano, uh, which is good. But I've been, I've, I've not looked at any of my old score books. It's all um, downloading it off the internet or YouTube or whatever and go right what what music do I like what do I want to play and it sadly it's taking me quite a long time to get back to the level that I was at but I'm you know I'll get there eventually but I think it's that so for me it's that giving people the opportunity but letting them choose because you know if, if my kids think that they've chosen to get dressed as opposed to me forcing them to get dressed they do it so much more willingly um and i think they get you know ultimately there's a balance to that too though isn't it i mean because it won't always work like that in the out in the world um so if they don't know how to handle the other end of it then they'll struggle again from that point of view once they have to go and start messing around and And conform conform they'll find it potentially harder to conform um and yeah, so I mean, so and this is the thing. It's it 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 has. 
I mean, at some point in time, and this is one of the things I've had to, you know, you just have to come to the realization, they'll have to figure out their own path eventually. But it is that the legacies mm. that we give to them to start, that they're going to, that's what they're going to have to work through. I call it slaying, you know, their dragons. So what So what demons that you're laying onto them yeah. that they're going to have to later on and there's no way around you know you can't get away from it it's just gonna happen because you know that's just how the circle kind of happens and they'll have to work their mm -hmm. way through it but the best that we could do is try to equip them um in the best way that we know how and that sort of sense um and i think uh in your story with the the piano was that and we do this with a lot of things it's you know how how often do we kill the passion for something that someone has in it by enforcing all these different rules on it? And one of the big ones, think about, um, you know, work in terms of what are you going to do for a job? And we do ask kids at a very young age to decide what are you going to do with your life, you know? <laughs> you know they're making a, a choice and they have no life experience and we're asking them to do this thing. Um but there's also this, you know, culturally and society thing about the whole sort of um, money aspect of it. And so, yeah. and it's important, but it's almost not getting it flipped upside down in the sense of, you know, picking something because it's something that drives you and the passion and the fun that's in it. Um, and I think the moment that you are driven by something like monetary thing to do it, then it, it, it can take on that space of a chore and it might not be that enjoyable and um, where you might have enjoyed it once, then you just kind of lose it yeah. um, for a whole host of reasons that, you know, that might, that might happen. I don't remember my army days, you know, the army has a way of making stuff that should be fun, not fun. You know, it's great jumping out of yeah. airplanes and climbing mountains, being out in the woods. It's like, oh, this is fun stuff. But the army, of course, made it, you know, made it not fun. Um, yeah. But afterwards, you know, I was able to reconnect with the good parts of the army that I like in terms of being out in the field and climbing mountains and, you know, jumping out of planes where I could do it just for the pure joy of it um, mm -hmm. and not doing it and it suck and hating it. Like, <laughs> I want to be loving this, but yeah. it sucks at the same time. Um, but yeah, so yeah, it's, it's, I like, I like that, that you've found your way back to the piano and you're finding your way back on your own terms in terms of doing what you feel, um, passionate about. And you remind me of a story and I've told this on other podcasts of, uh, and I can't remember, I need to look it up because I always tell the story about a blues player, young kid. Um, and you know what he's kind of. You know, he's playing on the street corner, basically, but kind of a virtuoso with this blues thing gets picked up by a label. But a lot of the people in the blues community were not happy because he's got all this fame because they think he hasn't paid his dues. And, you know, he hasn't, you know, he's just, they feel like he's skipping the process. And for him, and then, now this always, this, the thing that stayed with me from it is like when he was being interviewed, he's like, he could take it all away. Um, and I'll just go right back to the street corner where I was at and continue playing because I just love playing. Don't really care about any of the other stuff around it. I just love playing. So, and I was thinking, you know, and that's, you know, it's that kind of passionate piece in it where you're doing it because 
you love doing it. And I think Socrates told yeah. a story about wisdom. Um, and a you know, a young kid came to him, How can I be as wise as you? He takes him to a river and dunks the kid's head under under the water till just before he can't breathe. Um, or can't he's about to, you know, suck in a lot of water. Um pulls his head up and he says, you know, when you want wisdom as much as you want to air, <laughs> then you'll be wise. Um, and it's, you know, it's kind of tapping into that. But it's a t- it's tough again. It's like, well, how, as a young kid, you know, your kids will get to a space where it's like, well, how do you help them to nurture the thing that is their thing that maybe they don't notice their thing, <laughs> but they have a natural yeah. gift or talent towards doing it? And then how do we nurture this? This thing called the eight intelligence and school doesn't do a good job at this uh, Um uh, Gardner, I think, is the surname John Gardner, maybe, mm. um, uh, and the eight intelligence. And one of the things with school, we only focus on um, certain intelligence, ones that'll fit in the industrial age mm. and kind of fit there. Yeah. But there's music, there's natural, there's interpersonal. So there's these eight different um, intelligences, and but the, you know you don't have the sk- schools aren't equipped to cater to a kid's natural intelligence. So if I'm very good at interpersonal intelligence, um, apart from me joining sports or some other thing like that, I mean, there's no curriculum to necessarily heighten that for me. I'm forced to do math, English, and all that sort of stuff, you know, and I can think of myself where, you know, words were my thing, math wasn't my thing, but, you know, I'm forced to give up education time to learn calculus and algebra when you know mm. where I shined was with words English history anything with words it just shined and um, it's like well why yeah. not nurture that in the kid and then that's what you base their grades on that's what you base um their aptitude test on um yeah yeah it's that kind of um I, I was the same maths was always my um was always my weakness and yet you're you're pushed to learn it to quite a high level mm. um and perhaps actually yeah of course you've got to have the basics you've got to be able to do, um, use the basics to, to, to get multiply. through life <laughs> yeah and um but when's the but last it, time so, you, so you it, remember the parabola of a curve do you remember being able to figure out and oh, I, whatever I didn't need to retain, <laughs> I've lost. <laughs> so, do, you, do you remember having used any of that sort of stuff in your life? <laughs> is it? This is the thing, isn't it? And it's you know, um, and and this is my frustration with the current system is that you know, um, studying law is a great example because you um, you study it hard for four years, and it's not really until that fourth year that you even start to look at a bit more of the practical application you know you're really just reading the subject up until then and I guess the whole idea is that you read the subject so that you can apply it at a later date Um, but you learn a lot of what you need to do the job on the job and I think that's where apprenticeships come in really well Um, but I, I think it would be good if the curriculum focused more on what or the wider spectrum of skills that children have. So, for example, Thomas is never going to be a child who, or or doesn't appear to be a child that's going to enjoy sitting down and writing stories. He's doing fine at it, but he, it doesn't, it just doesn't make him tick. 
But if you put him um, into some kind of technology lesson where he could build something or he can use tools, so he can he can get get a screwdriver from quite a young age. He could get a screwdriver, undo the screws in his toy car, whatever, replace the batteries, put it all back together again, and he's away, his toy's working again, because he loves to know how things work. So any kind of technology or engineering, I think are going to be his subjects. So it could and be just a, a, a future Elon Musk type kind of, you know, <laughs> if it's, well, if it's really nurturing, then yeah. you know what I mean? If Because that's a talent. I mean, it's a, you know, you say, so why spend time on storytelling or writing stories as opposed to here's some bricks yeah. and things and stuff you know, go make stuff, you know, it's like nurturing that we're, you know, it's, and I think that's what this, you know, this eight intelligence um, idea was, you know, yeah, find, you know, the, the kid will reveal to you what their natural uh, inclination yeah. is towards. And then it's for the adults around them then to um, enhance that, heighten that and encourage that, yeah. but not in the way that you got forced with the piano <laughs> as in as soon as you start yeah, making it onerous. Yeah then it's no longer going to be fun for them. And then, you know, then they'll reject the very thing that they're probably really good at. It's interesting. There's there's a book called um, Reality is Broken. um, And Jane McGonigal is the lady. And, you know, they say say that kids play, on average, a U.S. high school student will spend 10,000 hours playing video games um, through the course of their education. And, you know, they got Malcolm Gladwell has this thing about it takes 10,000 hours to get good at something. So she did her doctorate song. Well, if kids are spending 10,000 hours playing video games, which, you know, all the adults and stuff, oh, stop wasting your life playing video games, blah, blah, blah. Um, she's like, well, what are they actually getting good at? Uh, and in her study, if you think about, um, like, a lot of these online games, they're intercultural, so they're playing with kids all over the world. They have to have yeah. leadership skills because it's like, hey, we got this objective. Uh, and they've got to communicate and they have to um, problem solve together as a group. And no one's teaching them this. It's because yeah. it's play. And so for them, it's not work. And they're getting really good at um, problem solving, leadership, interpersonal skills. And so she said, all we would need to do is just change the condition of the game. So she devised a few games like how to serve, solve the world's energy crisis for the kid they need. It's a game. It's got Brilliant. objective. Yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, you yeah. turn them loose. You don't have to put, you know, you got to go and get this degree on this and learn how to be this thing. It's yeah. like, nope, here you go. Here's mechanics of uh, of this thing. Here's the problem. And turn them loose. Um, and so, they, you know, yeah. they apply the skills that they've been picking up playing these, these, these games. It's just the context yeah. we've got to get right. Um, and... Yeah. And, and, you know, and, and yeah, and don't take away the, the enjoyment out of the thing so that it's mm-hmm. not kind of work to them. It's kind of play, but actually they're doing something real at the same time. Um, part two of the book is called The Awakening, um, and it's about the power to choose your version of the world. And I guess that's kind of what we've been talking about over the sort of last sort of 20 minutes or so ago. It's yeah. like it is, you know. We know that there's a culture scape. You know that you get conditioned, socialized um, into your society, um, your community. And and then a lot of these rules you just adopt and don't question anymore, but they maybe not serve you. 
So the second part of the book is, you know, work through those and now choose your own reality. Choose how you want to, what rules you want to adopt for you that's going to serve you, what values, beliefs that you want to adopt that are serving you. And you made a good point that between doing choosing between your A and your B, it's like, I'm going to for once do what I want to do, <laughs> which is awesome. Yeah. <laughs> which is an awesome step, isn't it? Where it's like, because I could imagine you know, if you're especially from a you know like people pleasing personality, you know all the conversations you would have had in your head, thinking how you would be letting down this one group and then what they're going to be thinking, what yeah. they're going to be feeling, and you didn't want to be the cause of that. And so, you know, you put their well-being and feelings ahead of your own. Um, and I like that you said, "Nah, this time, no." <laughs> I'm gonna do what I want to do. Yeah, good, I don't know. I, it's like, oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I, I don't, I don't know where it came from, but I just thought, I, I was feeling really chewed up about, you know, oh, I've got to go to this thing tonight, and I don't really want to go, and I want to do this instead, and, and I just thought, do you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm done with pleasing other people for today, and I, I'm just gonna. I sent a message really sorry I can't make it tonight I'm doing this instead and I, I just thought you know if they want if they want to fall out with me over it they didn't and and that and that's it that's the other thing you know is that um you know the in this awakening section of the book when it talks about the biggest thing that came away from me for that was um perception so your perception of what's either happening around you or what other people might think and I'd got in my head this perception that if I don't go to this thing every week you know and be reliable you know that's a it's a great trait and and um it's a, it's a great thing to be a reliable person that can be depended on but sometimes um you need to break away from that and um and I think I just thought, I thought, oh, you know, they'll think badly of me if I don't go. They'll think this, I'll think that. And I, and, and I didn't realize that's what it was at the time. But actually, my perception could just have been, oh, well, you know, if I tell them I've got something else on and I can't make it, they'll be cool about it. And they, they were cool about it. It was fine. Um, and I think it's so easy to adopt a negative perception of something that's happened or some, something somebody has said. And you can really dwell on it and say, oh, you know, that it's I've, the I've imagination thing. Or... And I think the, our imagination oh. is a blessing and a curse, as in it's, a, it's our evolutionary yeah. tool to help us to um, conjure up, uh, well, one, to help us avoid danger. So we have the ability to imagine mm -hmm. what a situation might turn out to be so that we can make decisions in the presence to avoid it. Um, but it is a blessing and a curse. So as you quite rightly kind of pointed out, I guess this is just an evolutionary thing. Um, we tend to imagine the worst possible outcome, but then we experience those feelings in the present because that's the body getting ready so that you do things to avoid that yeah. unpleasant thing that's going to happen. And, but it's just a made-up story in your head because as you just indicated there, you could equally say, oh, I imagine that everybody would be exactly fine with it. Uh, and then they would just get on it and do their thing, and then I can go and enjoy. And in the end of the day, both um, it was just in your imagination, and you only really ever know until you actually do it, you know, until you actually did yeah. it. <laughs> but but we make decisions based off of what we're imagining in our heads. So if you're imagining the worst possible outcome that you want to avoid, so you make decisions in the present so that that doesn't happen, uh, you could make 
imagine the good outcome that you want and then make a decision mm-hmm. and go from there. So, um, and you won't ever really know until you've actually made the decision and, and kind of go and it's just doing it. And I always have this rule for myself is just getting, being in a space where I know what to do when I don't know what to do. And, and that's yeah. kind of a, a, a belief system I've adopted on that end, which allows me to go ahead and do the thing and know that I'll have the requisite skills and resilience to deal with whatever the outcome might be um and so that that helps me to act um i suppose to act in in accordance with what i want versus what i don't want if that makes sense that's that's really interesting clay because i think that's that's part of the problem isn't it is that either the fear of the outcome or which may not happen or the Um, being too influenced by the worst case scenario outcome so when you say you've got you've got a technique for dealing with something when or deciding when you don't know what to do what what sort of um what what technique do you adopt to get through that so i mean well that that whole the thing is 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 basically just the mindset of that i know that i have the capacity to deal with whatever comes so that helps me to act yeah because um, you never know what it's going to be and um, but yeah whatever happens i know that i'll know to ask for help go read a book go do so i know i have the skills to figure out how to deal with the outcome whatever that outcome might be and so instead of worrying about it in the present time when it hasn't happened and imagining the worst thing so then i just avoid in doing it um um, I'm able to just let go and do, and then and do s- it. Sort it yeah. out, <laughs> sort it out on the other end when yeah. when the reality of whatever the outcome actually ends up um, being. But you know, mm-hmm. and, and even even knowing that, you know, I still have the same, you know, you, you know, the same conversations will still happen in my head. As in, you know, what is this going to happen? What are they going to think? Was it going to be so? You, you know, that still happens. Um, it's just catching yourself the awareness of it, and then as of, of Vanessa says, then, then making your conscious choice um, from it as opposed to just being yeah. ruled by uh, unconscious choice or by, um, you know, these, these hidden forces. So you make that conscious choice to um, to do a thing, and which I think is a skill to work, work on um, doing, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, um, and just imagine, and I guess I'm assuming that everybody's, you know, we're all human. So you have as you know, you have lots of voices in your head. <laughs> so I just naturally assume that everybody else has <laughs> voices in their head. As well. We have all these different conversations kind of going on inside your head about different, you know, aspects or things or how this decision might play itself out. And um, yeah, so it's just learning to to deal with all those what they call parts of you and integrating them into um a coherent unit but they all have but they have and i think that's the thing i think it's the consciousness and um doing things deliberately because they all have a part to play so it's not like ignore them so they're there and they have a part and it's just understanding the part that they play 
um, and then um, taking the best out of it. This particular book I've had is called Parts Work, and it's the illustrated guide to inner life. But you know, they talk about having you know have a have a council meeting of all your different voices in your head. Get them all around the table. Yeah, you know, give them yeah, their yeah. names or whatever, male, female. Um, and then, you know, you as the leader of this group of this, you know, voices in your head, you know, sit them all down around a, your imaginary table and your imagination and, and have the conversation and see what each of these parts have to say and what and then take the usefulness out of each of that, you know, again, to help you formulate yes. the decision that you uh, yes. want to make. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm, I'm that's, reckoning. That's, no, go oh. ahead. Yeah. I was just going to say that's a really good um, way of looking at it, isn't it? And the only thing I was going to add to that is that Vision in the book says, he talks about just just having that conscious approach to just checking what he calls a sort of this model of reality, but it's actually, you know, that thought that's in your head and just asking yourself, is it an absolute truth? So is it is it hard fact that we know is true or is it just your, is it a relative truth that you have adopted because of belief that you have or an Im- or something that your imagination has chosen to believe rather than an actual um truth so i i think that would help at the council yeah. meeting anyway in your head. <laughs> absolutely <laughs> absolutely <laughs> now, i am conscious of that that we're approaching the hour mark um, yeah and i know we only just got to half the book so it may be the case that we might have to do a part two <laughs> at some point in time. <laughs> yeah. Um, but anything do you want to sort of your big highlights from the book that you've taken and that you that you're consciously putting into action in your life now? I think that there's. I think there's probably two that that link, and the the first is um, is to. If you're if you're struggling with happiness, is to look at where it was coming from, and where it might need to shift to. So a big a big thing that I've taken away is that you are responsible for your own happiness, and you shouldn't be relying on anybody else. They can they can impact on it, and they can be part of that happiness. But you need to be able to, um, you know, have have a, a even if it's just in the way you perceive things is to just be able to find that um positive slant on things rather than getting stuck in the more negative way of looking at things so it's, it's rather than sort of complaining about all the negativity around you find the positivity in your own space and and try and have that as the as the starting point rather than being affected by people around you um, and the second thing was techniques for doing that which was the I, I won't go into detail on it but it was that just to rattle through them it was um expressing gratitude so always at the end of the day or at the beginning of the day trying to think about things that you're grateful for in any element of your life rather than focusing on negatives think about what are you grateful for if you're and if you're looking to achieve something and feeling like you're not quite there yet it's about turning around and looking backwards at how far you've come from where you were rather than where you still have left to go and then the third thing was about sort of you know just trying to share that more widely so perhaps starting with yourself but then sharing that with your family and friends as well to sort of just try and shape the um the energy around you I suppose to a, a more 
positive one than negative one. But that that's the that's the thing that I'm focusing on at the moment because it's something I can immediately action without relying on anything else. Um, it's just a, it's just changing my outlook um, to to have a more positive day. Yeah, well, that's the best place to start from what you, what's under your control, isn't it? <laughs> then you can, yeah, then absolutely. You can, you can get going straight away. Um, I think the big things for me was um, just again re re remembering the aspect of um, you know all the components that fall themselves in this other culture scape, um, and they're continually reinforced on a day and then day out basis. So for me, it was about um, remaining conscious to that fact. And I know he calls it conscious yeah. engineering. Um, and really um, connecting with that. And the other thing is, and what brought me back to reading this book, apart from suggesting it to you too, is I've seen something, one of uh, Vanessa's little videos he was doing. But I'm always a big guy to go, I want to find the source of where the sor- you know, sources thing is. Um, and he talks, you know, when he tells a story about his sales method and things like that, uh, where he was really at down and out and then he went on this course, um, and then it turned to sales, he doubled his sales and he became the sales mm-hmm. director and all that kind of stuff. But it was from this, uh, guy named Jose Silva and the Silva method of mind control is what he learned. I know he's now acquired the rights to um create the story within the mind valley thing so i think you'll start seeing more of it more Mm -hmm. directly than indirectly now and but i started listening to uh, the audiobook because the book is hard to get but i now have the book in my possession (laughs) Uh, the silver mind control Mm -hmm. method but in there it's this idea of getting your your mind in your alpha state uh which is um Uh, you can use it, you know, meditation, the first level of meditation will get you into this sort of alpha state, which is a, a relaxed focus, basically. Uh, and then so for me, it's just adapting that um, one in the morning, but also to, uh, to, uh, to tune up during the day as well. Like before getting ready for this conversation, you know, just five minutes mm-hmm. getting into alpha state. Um because it puts you more in connection or contact with your intuition and um yeah you're you're no, you notice more and that and so i've been putting that into practice and some more in addition to yeah. diving into the silver method and seeing where is this where is this stuff come from which is all interrelated to a lot of things i've studied like with the nlp and hypnosis and um you know the sort of subconscious mind um which is all just neat, cool stuff. And I could go on and on about it. Yeah. <laughs> but I won't. Yeah, not, absolutely. Not in this yeah, episode. Me too, yeah. Part yeah. two. <laughs> yeah. We'll have to, we'll have to, we'll make, we can make this a mini series. So we'll, uh, we've done the first two parts of this book. Then maybe the mini series will carry on and we can do a couple other parts of the book. Um, yeah. Go for it. Cool. All right. Very good. Super. Thank you, Clay.